From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Very glad to have you with us today for Open Line Tuesday here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Jack Williams away. He may he may be able to join us later on in the program. Uh, hopefully so. I'm Tom Price. Uh, very glad to be joined by our Tuesday host, Father Wade Menezes. How are you, Padre? I'm doing great, Tom. Good to have you with us, even if briefly or maybe lengthy. We don't know yet. We'll we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, we'll see. You know, hey, they, as the old saying goes, two moderators are better than one. Well, Adrienne has a uh, my, my sweet wife Adrienne has has a wonderful phrase that I will adapt for this purpose. She says, "We don't know what the hour will bring, but we do know who brings the hour." There you go. Now that's optimism. Better that's believe optimism. it. That's Here's what our wives are for the great optimism and and the great optimistic lookout in life. Better believe it. Here's our phone number for Father Wade: eight three three two eight eight EWTN. If you have a question for Father, and that is eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. If you are uh, interested in um, calling us from outside of North America, that number, after dialing the U.S. country code two zero five two seven one. 2985, or you can shoot us an email anytime, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure you put either Tuesday or Father Wade in the subject line. And today's Father uh, Springboard topic, Seven Hindrances to Prayer and Devotion. Fascinating. Yeah, that's right. And before I, I delve into those seven, I want to talk about another seven. Uh, there's a confer of mine here in the Fathers of Mercy, Father Joel Rogers, who is one of 14 children, Tom. Mm. And every year, any number of his sisters make their annual trek during July, usually late ju- July, to the Fathers of Mercy to visit him and to visit the community. So uh, they all uh, arrived in Moss huh? mm. <laughs> a couple days ago. So a shout out not only to Father Joel, my confer here in the community, but also to his six sisters who made it this year for the July 2022 trip, Paula, Teresa, Mary, Debbie, Stephanie, and Angela. And when they asked me last night over dinner, uh, what was my springboard topic today? I said, well, seven hindrances to prayer and devotion. And Paula said, well, I hope it's not us seven. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Good one. So a shout out to all of them. But yes, St. Peter of Alcantara, um, great reformer saint. Uh, he he gives us these seven hindrances to prayer and devotion to help us in our life. And I, I want to share this during ordinary time, because our ordinary time is supposed to be uh, focused on making our lives extraordinary, huh? The graces received from Lent and Easter, the graces received from Advent and Christmas. Um, we, we go into ordinary time twice throughout the liturgical year. We're currently in one of the ordinary times right now. Mm-hmm. And so this is a good time to review this, huh? Uh, th- there's a great quote from St. Peter of Alcantara. He says, we all talk of reforming others without ever wanting to reform ourselves. Mm. 
Talk about a good uh, self-knowledge quote, huh? Yeah. But he says this, you know, first of all, a little bit about him. He was a church reformer, I said, who started with himself. Good self-knowledge. He was ordained a priest in 1524, and Peter uh, was well known as a gifted preacher. In 1533, he wrote his treatise on prayer and meditation that he based on a work by Venerable Lewis of Granada, another great spiritual writer, uh, the well-known Dominican priest. Uh, The book became an instant success, a 16th century bestseller, if you will, right? Wow. Uh, And was translated into several European languages. And in the following excerpt, St. Peter of Alcantara warns of seven major hindrances to prayer and devotion. Number one, our own sins. He says this, the first thing that hinders prayer and devotion in one's spiritual life are our sins, not only mortal sins, but also venial sins. While venial sins do not take away supernatural charity nor sever it, they do diminish its fervor which is the same as devotion. So we should carefully avoid them, these venial sins, obviously the mortal sins. Uh, If not for the harm they do, the venial sins, at least for the great good that they prevent from happening by constricting the seven gifts and the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. Number two, excessive remorse of conscience. In other words, not moving forward once you've confessed your sins, but remaining harnessed in your past, right? He says excessive remorse of conscience is a hindrance to prayer and devotion. This excessive remorse of conscience that flows from our sins, even after confessing them, also impedes prayer and devotion. It makes the soul restless, uh, depressed, uh, faint, and weak for every good practice that it should be advancing to after confessing the sins. Huh? Uh, scruples, or scrupulosity is number three. Uh, scruples obstructs devotion for the same reason, basically, as the remorse of conscience. Uh, they are like thorns that prick the conscience and prevent it from resting in God and enjoying true peace, uh, these scruples. Scrupulosity is simply defined, Tom, as seeing sin where there is no sin, or seeing mortal sin when in, in reality it's it's venial sin, or, mm. or seeing venial sin, when in reality it's just a daily fault or weakness. Mm-hmm. Number four is too many cares in the world. Huh? Uh, here we mean, uh, by St. Peter of Alcantara's writings, more of preconceived notions of how things should be, and then when they don't go our way, we get upset, which leads to resentment. Uh, too many cares in the world. Too many cares in the world, he says, constitute another hindrance of prayer and devotion. Such cares do not allow us to sleep, the spiritual sleep, Uh, that lulls the soul into prayer. What's worse, too many worldly cares disturb the soul and divert it from practicing its spiritual exercises faithfully. Number five is preoccupation with sensual comforts. He says, preoccupation with sensual comforts is another block to devotion because a person who indulges too much in worldly delights uh, does not deserve those delights and consolations given by the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, the person who practices no asceticism whatsoever, for example, he doesn't never fasts. Maybe he's got a vice, but he's not practicing uh, uh, ascetical practices like fasting to overcome the vice, and yet uh, he's hoping the vice will somehow dissipate. Well, that ain't going to happen uh, with with the sensual comfort still going on, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, number six is too many worldly occupations. Uh, here we mean uh, the, the workaholic, uh, not living a balance between prayer, work, and recreation. St. Peter says too many worldly occupations are also a hindrance to prayer and devotion because they devour our time and submerge our spirit, leaving us without opportunity or heart to attend to God and to call on Him daily and to praise Him daily just because He is. 
Huh? So, so too much uh, workaholism and not a balance of, of prayer, work, and recreation. And number seven, interruption of spiritual exercises. He says, finally, interruption of spiritual exercises impedes prayer and devotion. Unless we must omit them for some devout purpose, such as to carry out an act of charity that has made itself known to us. The spirit of devotion, he says, is very delicate, and just as trees and human bodies need their normal food and drink and wither and die without them, so it is with devotion when it is deprived of spiritual food and drink. So, for example, no daily prayer whatsoever. You know, Our Lady of Fatima called for the daily rosary. St. Faustina called for the the daily Divine Mercy Chaplet. And let's say the person does not know or pray these prayers, uh, whether single or married or consecrated religious, there's no devotion there, Uh, let alone, how about the spiritual reading or the divine office, the praying of the bereavery, huh? So all these things. Uh, So again, these seven hindrances of of devotion, uh, to prayer and devotion, again, our sins, excessive remorse of conscience, scruples or scrupulosity, too many cares in the world, preoccupation with sensual comforts, too many worldly occupations, and interruption of spiritual exercises. So, Tom, I want to invite our Open Line Tuesday live listeners this hour to call in, share with us what some of their daily spiritual practices are. Maybe you pray the daily rosary. Maybe you uh, read sacred scripture daily followed by some meditation. Uh, Lexio Divina is so important in the spiritual life. In fact, it's preeminent. Mm -hmm. Maybe you pray the breviary, the divine office, and and you're not bound to as a religious order member. Maybe you do it as a layman. Maybe you're married and and you take on the divine office, maybe for morning prayer lauds or evening prayer vespers. Uh, How about monthly confession? Maybe you're able to go to daily mass because your work schedule permits it, even though it's not required. Sunday obligation is required, but not daily Mass, but praise God you're able to go because your work schedule permits it. What are some of your daily spiritual practices? Give a call and give witness at the same time to others who are listening live this hour. I want to wrap up with this, Tom, if I may, Uh uh, the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which should be next to every catechism of the Catholic Church on the shelf of every Catholic home. It's called the compendium. It's a Q and and A a format, a question-and-answer format, uh, from the different parts of the Catechism. It says, uh, how can adoration be defined? Talk about prayer and devotion, right, from this yeah. passage uh, on mm-hmm. seven uh, hindrances thereof by St. Peter of Alcantara. It says, how can adoration be defined? Adoration, it says, is humble acknowledgement by human beings that they are creatures of the thrice holy Creator, mm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adoration is the humble acknowledgement by human beings that they are creatures of the thrice holy creator. And then the the next question is, what is the prayer of praise? The prayer of praise is that form of prayer which recognizes most immediately that God is simply God. It is completely disinterested prayer. It sings God's praise for his own sake and gives him glory simply because he is. Wow. And if you want to hear that again, the wonderful springboard for today, you can uh, check out the podcast. We'll have that posted very soon. Lots more straight ahead on Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. Don't go away. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America... Call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 
And we have four lines full, two lines open. Whoop, one line open right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We'll get to the phones in just a second here. Father, you had another point or two to make uh, regarding what you were saying earlier. Yeah, we were talking about adoration and and the prayer of praise, uh, praising God just because He is, and, mm-hmm. and how we don't want these hindrances, these seven, especially that St. Peter talks about, St. Peter of Alcantara. Number two was remorse of conscience. In other words, staying bent up on your past, even though you've confessed the sins, but you're not moving forward. Just uh, five quick uh, scripture passages that tell us we need to move forward once we've confessed those sins. Huh? Uh, Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus' own words. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and yet keeps looking back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And those are words of our Lord himself, right? Philippians 3.13, St. Paul's letter to the church members at Philippi, he says, quote, I focus on this one thing and one thing only, forgetting the past and looking forward only to what lies ahead. Amen. In other words, don't look back. Keep looking forward. 2 Peter 2.22, easy passage to remember, the second letter of St. Peter, chapter 2, verse 22. It's pretty powerful, Tom. Do not be like a dog that returns to its own vomit, quoting Proverbs 26.11, nor be like a sow that after washing returns to wallow in her mire. Mm. Uh, John 8.11 has Jesus saying to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Now, when we tell someone to go, Tom, it's to go forward, not backwards. Right. Go, go and sin no more. He's telling her to move forwards. And then from the Old Testament, Isaiah 12, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2, uh, has the prophet saying to God, quote, I go forward confidently now and will no longer be afraid. For you, God, are the source of my strength, the tower of my defense. The Lord has made himself my protector. So, While remorse of conscience is good, in fact, that's what gets us to the confessional, and even some remorse of conscience still for ongoing healing once you've confessed the the sins, uh, you should not wallow in that mire of your past. You're called to move forward. And I just thought uh, that's important to to mention on this remorse of conscience business, the second of the seven points from St. Peter of Alcantara. And Mm -hmm. I wrap up with this. St. Irenaeus says, "'Friendship with God brings the gift of immortality.'" to those who accept it. How beautiful is that? And St. Thomas Aquinas, it is the Lord's will that you have eternal life. Father, so how there you often, have it. Yeah. We move forward. Yeah. How, how often do you run into people, either in or out of the confessional, who say, you know, I just can't get past this, this thing yeah. that happened 30 years ago? You, you must hear that all the time. Yeah, yeah, and and I encourage them. Look, don't make yourself your savior. <laughs> You're yeah. doomed if you do. Oh yeah. Don't don't deny Jesus Christ the right of being your savior. Absolutely. Uh, you got to move forward because He wants you to move forward. Open line Tuesday with Father Wade here on EWTN. We're going to get to Diana in San Antonio in just a moment. First of all, don't miss the latest political and cultural reporting and analysis on topics of interest to Catholics and people of faith on Gotta Be the World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Right now, you can get news from the world over into your email inbox every week. Sign up today by visiting EWTN.com. Click on the word subscribe, and we will take it from there. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Diana in San Antonio. Hey, Diana, what's on your mind today? Well, it is um, about the vows that are taken by priests to obey the bishop, and where is the bright line on that? Um, I'll give you an extreme example. 
um, in the world. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the BMI map, which is a Vietnam, but basically a lieutenant uh, carried out orders to these two people in the village that were part of the Viet Cong or sympathizers, and he was tried for murder. Um, and his defense was, you know, I was carrying out orders from, you know, my commanding officer. And I'm, I'm not thinking that there's bishops telling uh, priests to murder people. However, they, I believe, have created at a minimum uh, a chill on open discourse and speech in uh, trying to silence them when they speak out uh, on issues of um, that can lead people into terrible grave sin. Uh, yeah, right. Certain- yes, so, so, so priestly obedience um, for the diocesan priest, uh, they profess uh, chastity obedience to their bishop, not poverty. A religious order priest uh, profess poverty, that third evangelical council. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even for the diocesan priest, they're not evangelical councils so, uh, per se, as they are promises of chastity and obedience. And in regards to obedience specifically, which you're asking about, um, it's in regards to everything juridically that they are bound to as priests from the conveying of the truth in its purity uh, to obedience to the bishop in assignments to the promise of their chastity and everything else that falls under the the parent category if you will of the priestly life huh uh, and and that's what's important here is to understand that now where does that cease Anything that the bishop asks that goes against faith or morals, the priest is not bound to obey if it goes against faith or morals. He has a right then uh, to seek a higher authority, uh, a right to Rome, for example, Mm -hmm. and say what the situation is, and go from there. So, in in short, the the promise of of obedience, uh, whether diocesan or religious order, but but for religious order priests, it is considered an actual uh, vow, an evangelical counsel, along with chastity uh, and poverty. But with the diocesan priests, it's, it's a promise of obedience as opposed to vow. But uh, talking about the diocesan priesthood here, because I, I presume that's what you're referring to, the promise of obedience implies and requires the exercise of the two virtues of trust and love. The Vatican, a Vatican document teaches on this. Um, and so long as, as what the bishop is asking him to do does not go against faith or morals, mm-hmm. the priest places that trust and love in his father, the bishop, to lead him and guide him to live fully his priestly promises, and that's what's important. And this is why, you know, the, the five to seven years of formation is so important, yeah. uh, to, to make the priest a well-rounded man. And John Paul II, now saint, his landmark um, uh, work, Pastoris Dabo Vobis, I Will Give You Shepherds, um, talks about four categories of formation for the priest, whether diocesan or religious order, under the acronym SHIP, S-H-I-P, as in Paul, uh, SHIP, it, the spiritual formation, the intellectual formation, excuse me, the spiritual formation, the human formation, mm-hmm. the intellectual formation, and the pastoral formation. Yeah. So an easy way to remember that is the acronym uh, SHIP. And so there you have it. And, uh, and it, it is important. Obedience is extremely important. 
Thank, thank you for a great question. Thank you, Diana. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Very glad that uh, Diana is listening on uh, Guadalupe Radio celebrating their 22nd anniversary this week, Father Wade. Great. Wonderful. Can you believe that? Man, oh, man. All right, let's go now to uh, Michael in Spokane listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, what's on your mind today? Thank you both for taking my call. Thank you, Father Wade. Um, you know, I pray to the Blessed Mother every morning, uh, to Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, Bernadette Trubu, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Padma, Our Lady of Knock in Ireland, so she's very close to me and helps me. Um, I'd like a question. Could you please explain the virtue of hope and ways the virtue of hope can help each of us? Sure. Well, hope is one of the three theological virtues, along with faith and charity, or love. So we pray for uh, an increase of the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. For example, the beginning of the rosary, that's what the three beads are closest to the crucifix down at the bottom of the rosary. But hope specifically is what you're asking about, and it's the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our earthly trust if you will, in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help and grace of the Holy Spirit, even though we do ourselves what we know we're to do, when we're supposed to do it, in the way it's supposed to be done. In other words, we're neither too lax nor too rigid in that, okay? The virtue of hope uh, responds to the aspiration to happiness that every human person is called to, uh, ultimate eternal happiness, what's called the beatific vision or eternal beatitude, which God has placed in the heart of every human person. Uh, it takes up the hopes that inspire the human person's activities and purifies them uh, so as to order them to the kingdom of heaven. This is why I say we do what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it, and the way it's supposed to be done, all the while with a forward view, if you will, to this hope, this theological virtue of hope, the kingdom of heaven above all else. Uh, such a virtue of hope keeps us from discouragement. Uh, it sustains the human person during times, for example, of abandonment. Um, it opens up the human person's heart in expectation of the eternal beatitude, the, the heaven that awaits him or her, right? Uh, heaven for all eternity. So placing their trust in hope, the human person then uh, is, is preserved from selfishness uh, and an egocentric focus, an eye-centered focus, uh, and is led to the happiness that flows from charity of wanting to serve others. So that's a part of hope as well. It takes us out of the selfishness. Um, and, and, and charity, of course, is the greatest of all the three theological virtues, which this hope is geared toward. Uh, and even faith is geared towards love, and hope is geared towards love. And why is that? It's because love or charity is the greatest of the three. Why? Because it continues to abide in heaven, where faith and hope don't abide in heaven, because they're not needed, because their object, namely God himself, will have been attained in heaven. But because God is love, love abides in heaven. So faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That's the reason. There's no need for faith in heaven, in the eternal beatitude state, because um, the object of faith is God, and we will have attained him when we get to heaven. Same with hope. There is no hope in heaven because our, our uh, final end or our object of hope, namely God, 
will have been attained in heaven. Uh, so, so this is another thing that hope has a, a view towards, is, is to take us out of the selfishness and to gear us towards charity towards others. Uh, Christian hope in the New Covenant and New Testament takes up and fulfills the hope of the chosen people of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, which has its origin and model in the hope of Abraham, who was blessed abundantly by the promises of God that God fulfilled in Isaac, uh, and who was purified by the test of the sacrifice. Hoping against hope, he believed, we're told in Scripture, and thus became the father of many, many nations, as Scripture tells us. Christian hope unfolds from the beginning of Jesus' preaching and the proclamation of the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes then trace the path that leads through the trials that await the disciples of Jesus, and hope is expressed and nourished in prayer, especially in the Our Father, which is the summary of everything that hope leads us to desire. Master, teach us how to pray, and he, and he gave them the Our Father. So there you have it, a, a little right. a synthesis of the virtue of hope. Hey, Michael, thanks so much for your call. In a moment, we'll talk with Mike driving through Missouri this afternoon. Rita is in Waco. Debbie's in Pennsylvania. Sam listening in Omaha. Sharon in Chicago. Very busy phones on this uh, open line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. Do give us a call if you can, 833-288-EWTN. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Mike driving through the great state of Missouri listening on Covenant Radio. Mike, you're on with Father Wade. Hello. Hello, Mike. I had a question. Are you familiar with Padre Pio? Very much so. Okay. I got a finger rosary, which I thought was the neatest thing since sliced bread, um, <laughs> to drive and say that. I, when you say his prayer at the introduction, it says to say, the creeds, our Father, and the glory be. Do you say that on each decade? Yeah, you begin or each decade... That- you begin each decade with the Our Father, and you close each decade with the Glory Be. And there's a very strong tradition now, since the beginning of the last century, with the Fatima apparitions, which took place in 1917, to add the so-called Fatima prayer at the end uh, of the Glory Be, after the end of each, or after the Glory Be at the end of each decade. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell and lead all souls to heaven, and help especially those most in need of thy mercy. Because Our Lady told the three Fatima children, pray for sinners, especially for poor sinners who have no one to pray for them. Also pray for the holy souls in purgatory, especially those who have no one to pray for them. So she taught them that so-called, it's known as the decade prayer that comes after the glory be. So you announce the mystery, then it's the Our Father, the Ten Hail Marys, the Glory Be and the Decade Prayer from Our Lady of Fatima, and uh, five decades a day—five uh, decades a day—if you take on the Daily Rosary, which is a great spiritual practice to do so. It takes about 17 or 18 minutes to pray it reverently, neither too slow nor too fast. Um, five decades a day remain the norm. John Paul II made that clear in October 2002 when he gave us the beautiful document um, Rosarium Virginis Mariae. Uh, wherein he did two things with that document. Number one, he, he officially promulgated the luminous mysteries of the rosary. The second thing he did with that document is that uh, he uh, proclaimed the year of the rosary from October of 2002 through October of 2003. Does that help? It- yes, it does. 
Thank you very much. All right, you're very welcome. Thank you for a great question. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. As we move through the back half of the program, anybody at the end of the program today who might be left on hold, just stay right there on hold because we're going to record a mailbag edition of Open Line uh, Tuesday right after the program today. So we'll take your phone call for the first portion of that program. So stay on the line if we don't get to you before the end of the show today. Next up is Rita in Waco, Texas. She's listening on Guadalupe Radio. Rita, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Good afternoon, Father Wade. This is Rita. I have a sharing that I I want to to share with the people because I was listening to your hindrance in prayers. I believe so much in prayer, and so uh, as me, as a caretakers and caregivers, I don't have sometimes time, but I believe in, in the morning, I do my morning prayers, and then my spiritual communion, mm. and after that, uh, in the evening, after confession, my act of contrition, I also again do my spiritual communion, but in the meantime, during this process, Father, I had actually developed what I call the present moment. Oh, wonderful. Yes. The present moment acknowledged me to be able to, in every moment, knowing him that he is present. And in uh, in the course of my day, I can always lift my heart and say, you know, just like probably ejaculations like Jesus, I love you, or sacred heart of Jesus, take care of me, loving mother, here I am in this moment. And I am hard up with all my work. And this is my sharing, Father, for those who doesn't really know what the present moment is all about. I cannot go to the Blessed Sacrament in adoration during some time in my days, in my weeks. But I do exercise that present moment. Beautiful. You know, Mother Angelica was a great lover of the so-called sacrament of the present moment, lowercase s. She doesn't mean an actual sacrament. There's only seven sacraments of the Church. This is not one of them, but it's used as a phrase to help show how it can be grace-filled at that moment. And and you recall the sacrament of the present moment by just simply uh, thinking upon God with the so-called short, fervent aspiration prayers or, or the short, fervent ejaculatory prayers. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you, save souls. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, if you're, if you're calling on the Blessed Mother. My guardian angel, protect me. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I love you, thank you, save souls. Uh, these are all examples of that, where we sanctify the moment. What, what I call uh, the, the, the aspiration prayers, they're wonderful for this reason, Rita. They help us to practice what I like to call, as an acronym, the P-O-G, uh, the Presence of God. They help us call to mind the presence of God. We can be walking into a store. We could be putting gas in our vehicle. We could be uh, sitting down to work on a homily if you're Father Wade. Um, you could be uh, driving to a relative's home for supper or, or, or just about to pray before that supper with those relatives. And you call to mind the presence of God with those short, short uh, fervent aspiration prayers. And that's a beautiful thing. You also mentioned uh, the spiritual communion that you make. If it's a day that you were not able to get to Mass that day to receive an actual sacramental communion. You know, St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, the great bishop and doctor of the Church, he's the founder of the Redemptorist Order. He was a great, 
great advocate, capital A, of practicing the spiritual communion by following three simple steps. Number one, he says, make an act of faith in the real presence of Jesus, truly present in the most blessed sacrament, the most holy Eucharist, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Then he would go on, number two, make an act of desire accompanied by an act of sorrow for one's sins, both mortal and venial, whether past or present, forgiven or not forgiven, so as to worthily receive these graces as if one were receiving an actual sacramental Eucharistic communion. How beautiful is that? And number three, as you would with an actual Eucharistic communion, he says, after your spiritual communion, make an act of thanksgiving afterwards. Makes sense, right? As if you receive Jesus sacramentally in the Most Holy Eucharist. All three of these steps, he says, may be combined into one prayer. And then I close with this, Rita. Here's an example of a spiritual communion. My Lord Jesus Christ, although I greatly desire it at this moment, I am not able to receive you sacramentally in the Most Holy Eucharist. I believe, O Jesus, that you are really, truly, and substantially present in the Most Blessed Sacrament of the Altar, the Holy Eucharist, in your body, blood, soul, and divinity. I am truly sorry for all of my sins, mortal and venial, past and present, forgiven and not forgiven. I ask of you, O Lord, through this spiritual communion now, to bestow upon me all of the graces that I would otherwise receive as if I did actually receive you in holy Eucharistic communion. I desire your sanctifying graces and your actual graces to the full, even until I am overflowing with them, so that I may in turn share these same graces with the rest of the world. Amen. So Rita, thank you so much for your great uh, spiritual witness today. You know, you're, you're building off the springboard of the seven hindrances to prayer and devotion, and I called our uh, live listeners this hour to call us with their own spiritual practices to help ward off uh, those hindrances that prevent prayer and devotion. So thank you for sharing two of them. Uh, your spiritual communion when you can't make it to Mass that particular day, and also your, your practice of the so-called sacrament of the present moment, something that was very dear to Mother Angelica. God bless you now, Rita. Have a beautiful day. Next up is the great state of Pennsylvania. Debbie is in the Commonwealth today, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Debbie, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you. Good evening, Father or good afternoon, it's still uh, afternoon. So in yes. your previous call, you briefly, you briefly mentioned um, in short prayer about the guardian angel. And as a child, it's something that you were kind of taught about. And recently as an adult, I've rediscovered the power of my guardian angel and all the angels. Mm. Um, in prayer and kind of um, asking some of the other angels for guidance and strength, um, it kind of made me open and realize that some of the non-Catholic, I don't even want to say religions, but like you hear of like tarot card readers and spiritual readers talk about the archangels. So understanding and knowing how powerful angels can be, I just am a little concerned about like the crossover of other religions calling on the power of the angels and, um, if you could maybe, you know, explain that a little bit to me. And also, do you believe in signs from your guardian angel? Okay, great, great series of two questions here. So first of all, non-Christian faiths often pull from the Old Testament uh, books. There's no secret about that. They build off of that, especially a lot of the, the cult and occultic um, followings of different things, whether whether 
practices an actual uh, quote unquote religious or religion or not. Uh, they pull from that. Um, and how is it then that we can see, for example, the talk of angels or even archangels in 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 the work of spirit, so-called spiritualists like tarot card readers and all that stuff that we should shun because it it, it makes the human person want to be in control uh, power wise over things that only God has control over in His omnipotent wisdom and love for us. Uh, well, they pull from what benefits them. Whatever pulls in the dollar. You know, it, it's like uh, in the San Joaquin Valley where I grew up in California. I'm amazed driving along the Interstate 5 and all these rural country towns you pass through uh, where there's a lot of Hispanics. You have, uh, you have these, these, uh, these businesses and these little, for example, these little houses, uh, maybe in a residential area, that have a huge picture on a sign on the front lawn of Our Lady of Guadalupe, or maybe painted on the side of the house of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and it says, tarot card reading, 24 hours a day, and it says it in Spanish and English. Well, they want to pull in from the Christian faith what they know will attract, in this particular instance that I'm using as an example in the San Joaquin Valley, the many Hispanics that are there to make a buck off of them. And it's, it's very, very sad, uh, you know, because they're going to be Catholic. They're going to be Catholic Christians, and uh, they shouldn't be turning that to that type of spiritualism. But my point is this. Uh, Debbie, is that they pull from the Christian faith what will benefit them. Even Hollywood does this. When it wants to depict something evil, like, like, a, like a spiritual force or a spiritual power, it's always the Catholic Church that's depicted. Uh, you know, the, the priest shows up in the collar, for example, because how are, how are you going to identify in the storyline uh, on, a, on a weekly television cop show the Baptist preacher or the Methodist preacher, you're not going to be able to do it, but you're going to be able to do it with the Catholic priest with the Roman collar on. So they pull from what they want, and we see this with even the non-Christian faiths uh, that pull from the Old Testament books where the angels are mentioned. In fact, the archangels are mentioned. So so at least not some of them, not all of them by name. Uh, so there you have it. That's that's the easiest way I can answer this question without giving in, getting into particulars and researching particular non-Christian faiths and how they built upon uh, the use of the angels in their particular tenets. But, but great, great question. And by the way, uh, it's great to hear that you've rekindled um, a love for your guardian angel, because that is a very strong tenet of our Catholic faith. There's a beautiful section in the Universal Catechism on the work of the angels, both the guardian angels and the angels in particular, uh, the guardian angel and the angels in general, uh, pulling from both the Old and New Testament. And then to answer your second question, um, uh, I forget how you worded it, but should we should we put trust in in how did you word that to the in, to the work of our angels and asking them specific things? Rephrase that second question that you had for me. My, my question was just in in the secular um, relation to angels. They always you know say if you find a feather or if you find a coin, it's a sign. Do your angels give you signs, or is it just in your face? That I, that's right. Sign the is the angel. word you use. The sign is the word you use. That's the, word, the exact word I was looking for. Uh, you know, the angels can give us signs. In fact, the catechism intimates that truth, but we should not look only for signs from our guardian angels, because God wants us to use our own intellects, our own wills. Uh, to draw us closer to him and his sanctifying grace, which is always his gratuitous gift. So yes, the angels can give signs. If they do so, it's through God's power, not their own. But we should not look only, with a capital O, only for signs, because we're doomed if we do. And we don't put uh, the our only faith 
uh, in such signs. We have to be open to all the graces that are there from God, some coming from the angels, some coming through other people. Mother Angelica, speaking of her as I did to Rita, the last caller, Mother Angelica often said, God speaks to you through your neighbor. Uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta often said the same thing. Most often, God speaks to us through other people, but we're so stubborn, we're so wounded, we're so weak, we don't often see that or hear that truth for what it is. So we don't want to put look only for signs from our angels and build our life only on that thing. But yes, signs can work through the guardian angels. 833-288-EWTN. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. A couple of open lines for you until still have time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. Tomorrow's Wednesday. That means it's Wacky Wednesday on Women of Grace at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Johnette welcomes uh, Sue Brinkman in for her weekly visit. Tomorrow they're going to be talking about the spiritual elements of Yahweh Yoga and the Martial Arts, that's Women of Grace with Johnette Williams, and her guest tomorrow, Sue Brinkman, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Sam in Omaha, Nebraska, first-time caller listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Sam, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you for taking my phone call, Father. Um, I have a question about confirmation in other faiths. A friend of mine's niece was recently confirmed in the Methodist Church, mm-hmm. and during the um, during the, her confirmation, they asked questions just like we are asked questions during our confirmation. And when they asked, do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the response by the confirmation elect and then the, the, um, the, the excuse me, everyone at church said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And that threw my friend for a loop, and she brought me the program, and we looked at it together, and neither one of us can, for the life of us, understand why they would say that and then not be Catholic. Yeah, great question. <laughs> so those are words from the Nicene Creed from 325 A.D., which many of the Protestant faiths uh, retained— after the breakaway from Rome following the Protestant Reformation, beginning with Martin Luther and the subsequent Lutheran religion or Lutheran faith, uh, Martin Luther, for the most part, didn't have any problem with the tenets of the Creed and its twelve, uh, the Nicene Creed and its twelve articles, um, and forty plus some truths. But as Protestantism grew and fractured and grew and fractured, and today we have some thirty-two thousand plus Protestant faiths or, or sects, according to the experts that study that reality, um, 32,000 plus, and that's counting every single autonomous individual church house, for example, in the South, that is its own autonomous congregation. It's not, it might be a Baptist uh, church a congregation, but it's not tied to the, to the Southern Baptist Convention. It's its own autonomous house with, a, with, a, with the Anabaptist line, which it professes. So even, even counting every single autonomous church congregation that's not attached to a, a larger uh, group of, of grouping of, of that particular faith, there's purportedly, by the experts, again, who study this, some 32,000 Protestant sects. So you look at these, and you're going to see any number of the truths of the Nicene Creed uh, uh, still professed by them, and some not professed by them. Now, the word Catholic, one holy Catholic and apostolic faith, that simply means uh, universal, katholikos in the Greek, 
meaning the church is universal. Uh, speaking of the Catechism, as I did just a few minutes ago, one of my favorite sections in the Catechism is when it talks about the four individual marks of the church. We know the Bride of Christ, which he founded, his, his Bride the Church, capital C. We know her by her four marks, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And the Catechism breaks down each one of those four and what that means precisely. Well, for the, the, the Catholic, the third one, it simply means universal. She is found everywhere. And there's many, many church fathers who give us beautiful quotes from their early writings. We're talking from the first seven centuries that talk about the faith and tradition of the Celts as the same as the faith and tradition in those, as those in Spain, um, of those in the, in the Mideast and the Far East. Uh, you know, it's the same tradition and the same faith. So she's catholicos. She's universal. Her, her, her faith, her traditions, her tenets are found everywhere. And, uh, you know, this is what you, you heard this professed at a Methodist uh, confirmation. Uh, that's a beautiful thing, because we want to build off that truth of the Methodists to hopefully have them one day reunite uh, with the chair of Peter. This is why we celebrate each and every year on February 22nd, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. And that's not honoring a piece of furniture. That's honoring the office, capital O, the office of, of that which our Lord granted Peter. I say to you, Peter, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never overpower her. The gates of hell will never prevail against her. And so we pray for the reunification, especially of our Protestant brothers and sisters, these 32,000 sects, uh, to reunify under the chair of St. Peter in the fullness of truth with these four marks of the Bride of Christ. We know her because she is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, the Nicene Creed, 40-plus truths in that creed, uh, in 12 articles of faith. By the way, the whole catechism, the whole universal catechism, in all of its individual parts and sections, is based on those 12 articles. Uh, so if you begin at the very beginning of the Universal Catechism, it begins with, I believe, and it, it opens up with talking about God and how we can know God and how he's revealed as a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, etc., etc. So it's good that the Methodists profess those four marks, because we could use that as Catholics to dialogue with them and pray for the reunification under the chair of St. Peter. You know, interestingly enough, it's the Methodists who very recently, in the last six weeks, had a major, major section of Methodists break off because they saw another, the other faction of the Methodists becoming too liberal and progressive with some of the cultural uh, issues like uh, gay marriage and ordination and, and the gender ideology. So a large, large conservative branch of the Methodists broke off from the mainline body of the Methodists. So we're seeing now subsequent fractures because of some of these uh, cultural ideas that are infiltrating different Christian churches. So again, more reason to pray for the chair of, uh, for the reunification of the chair of St. Peter, the fullness of truth. That's, that, that feast day has beautiful, beautiful liturgical prayers because it talks about the, the union of one, the, the, the Gospel of St. John, right? The great priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Father, I pray that they may be one as how? As you and I are one, Father. Well, that's pretty powerful, because that's the second person of the Trinity talking to the first person of the Trinity. I pray, Father, that they, meaning my followers, my disciples, which all Christians are to some extent, I pray that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one. 
and the cohesiveness of the faith of the Church, capital C, the Bride of Christ, is found fully, as Vatican II teaches so beautifully, in the fullness of the Catholic Church. Um, so does that help you out with, with the four marks and why the Methodists use them at Confirmation? Absolutely. They're using Great. Catholic as universal, not as Catholic, as yeah. the Catholic Church. Yeah, and yeah. we want to build on that as Catholics to dialogue with our, our Methodist brothers and sisters. Thank you so much. What a great question. God bless you now. And quickly, Thank we'll you. head to Sharon in Chicago, Illinois, listening on the EWTN app. She's going to share her prayer routine with you, Father Wade. Sharon, great. you're on with Father Wade. Well, hi there. Nice to uh, speak with you, and uh, appreciate your, your Father Wade quite a bit. Um, I'm a secular Franciscan. And oh, so great. I wake up usually around 5 in the morning, and I start with the office. And um, I love doing the, um, uh, you know, the, the office in the morning. It really inspires me. And um, I, then I, I go on. I actually do a lot of prayer, and I believe that what you were talking earlier about aspiration prayer, I, I try to pray all day long. But one of my most um, exciting prayers is the chaplet of um, St. Michael. And you've had a couple people calling about that, so I thought I would be relevant. You know, when you make that prayer, you can even do it while you're at church, and because yeah. it's such an easy prayer to say. And you invite all of the angels to come to join you. And, and that act of inviting the angels is really important. And since I started doing that, I have had so many amazing changes in my life. I, I could take up hours to tell you about them, but I won't. Yeah. And... Um, I, I want to encourage um, everyone, if you don't wake up in the morning and say good morning to your guardian angel and invite him to be part of your day, uh, and then remember to say that throughout the day, you're really missing out on an opportunity to share uh, the physical experience that we have right now with our spiritual friend who's with us for all of eternity, or, or I think he's kind of with us as long as eternity means that we're going to go to heaven, or I don't know where the guardian angels go as far as purgatory is concerned, but I will know someday what happens. And Great. Sharon, Sharon, what a wonderful witness. And just think of all the, the angels at each and every Mass that is celebrated, huh? Uh, that's another beautiful reality that ties in perfectly to what you're saying about the importance of incorporating the angels into our daily spiritual life, whether practicing the presence of God with the so-called sacrament of the present moment, whether we're about to pray the Rosary, a Divine Mercy Chaplet, whether about whether we got to Mass a few minutes early to make our particular willed intention, to make that intention and unite it with the pre-celebrant's primary intention— uh, and, and ask our guardian angel to be there with us throughout that Mass, along with all the myriad of other angels present at every Mass. What a great witness. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Where can they find out more about the Fathers of Mercy? At fathersofmercy.com. Uh, on behalf, well, actually, Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with you each and every day. This day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow. Until then, God bless. <laughs>